Good morning. Welcome to the garden. My name is Darren. Um, that was a video done by a fellow gardener on Thursday. I had a conversation with him about what we've been doing and talking about, and he's been thinking about it, and he put that together on Friday, and so gave it to me on Saturday. Um, and uh, I think a couple of things real fast about the video. One, he takes a speech from a guy named Charlie Kaufman. You may or may not know who he is. That was his first public speech ever given. And it was to the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. Charlie Kaufman has written some movies you might have seen. Um, the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, the, uh, Being John Malkovich, and Adaptation. He's an Academy Award winner. And uh, he, as far as I know, is not a Christian. But you can hear the language of the kingdom of God and truth in his language as he gives a speech from his heart with pictures of everyday ordinary life um, and a, a perspective from our, our friend Elliot who goes here. Um, I hope as followers of Jesus, we can learn to affirm the truth in humanity and tell people why it's true. That we can hear speech like this with words like, People are lonely, empty, and scared. He, he says, we need to see that it's not reality. And we, not, we have to, uh, we, we, don't, we gotta, don't allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that the way things are is the way the world must work. He, has a, he says, uh, we are not passive, we are not a passive audience for this messed up power play. We can say who we are. Change can happen through honest and thoughtful people aware of others who remind themselves and really think about who we really are. There's another way to be in this world. Charlie Coffin has some insight on the truth of something that all of us in humanity face, that there's brokenness, but that there, there, there's a way we can see the world. It doesn't have to be this way. Jesus comes onto the scene in the book of Mark and, and he says the same thing. He does the same thing and, and he shifts the perspective and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. He says God's way of life, his rule, his reign, his government, the way life would be if he was in charge, it's here and now, it's, it's experiential, you can, you can taste and see, you can, you can, you can touch it. You can participate in it and, and more importantly, you're invited into this life that's marked by justice and beauty and truth and peace and wholeness and shalom and grace and forgiveness and righteousness. Not only are you invited into that, but then you're invited to spread that way of life, that way of life around everywhere you go whether you pay a, play a bagpipe on the beach or walk into a coffee shop or whether you, you go to work nine to five behind a desk, Jesus is inviting you where you are with your skills, with your gifts, with your talents, with your thought, with your personality to spread that type of life around. That's the invitation. That's the perspective change we get. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's not what it means to be a Christian, is it? 
We've been given something else. Christianity has taken on a whole new perspective, but we've been invited into a life of obedience with Jesus. And I wonder if, uh, if we've experienced this life ourselves. How do we measure our character being shaped by Jesus in this thing called discipleship? How many of, our, how many of us are experiencing a life of love and joy and peace and, and we are passing around a, a type of patience and kindness and goodness and fullness and, I'm sorry, and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. How do we measure our character by those things? How many of us are experiencing those things regularly? Or, 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 or are you like me, who still just so happens to lose their temper on the freeway? And speeds around the slow driver driving down 7th Street because, after all, it is 35 miles an hour. Or maybe you're like me and you snap ever so subtly to your spouse. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's your roommate. Or maybe you're like me and, and uh, you, you, uh, you respond with defensiveness and sarcasm when you're offended or threatened. Or maybe you're like me and you choose to use language that makes you look a little better than you really are. You know those subtle exaggerations that just puff up the truth a little bit more? Or maybe you're like me and you use your language to control people's behavior. You exaggerate. You tell big stories. You talk about your love for coffee in the same way your love for Jesus or your spouse. That's me in a nutshell. So I want everyone to experience what I've experienced and move people to have the same thing that I've experienced in my life. Maybe you are like me and the life that Jesus has extended to us here now and the character he invites us into is far from what we've experienced and developed. Again, this is a conversation that we're trying to have as a church. For those of us that have said yes, for those of us that, it's, that have said yes, not to a prayer, but have said yes, I want to be like Jesus that I've said, yes, Jesus is the ultimate reality, that I've said, yes, my life will now sh be shaped around the love and identity he has for me. It's called discipleship, and this is the conversation we're in as a church. The question is, how do we become more like Jesus? If that's the pursuit, how do we learn to pray? Or better yet, how did Jesus pray? When he stood and when he was placed on a cross, and his hands were nailed, and his feet were nailed, and as he prayed, he could only pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Where did Jesus learn how to pray that prayer? Was it in the moment of anguish as he was strapped down and a nail pierced his, his wrist and his ankle? In the moment of pain and trial and, and doubt and fear? Or was it in the solitude and silence in the early morning where he learned the heart of forgiveness from his loving Father? If you want to have the response of Jesus in the time of trial, then you've got to have the life of Jesus in your everyday, ordinary life. And so begins the, the journey we're on with this new series called the Transform, Transformational Practices. We are exploring as a church... Uh, ways to adopt intentional disciplines, rhythms, spiritual disciplines, rhythms, practices into our everyday life so that we can be shaped 
to be more like Jesus. That we can learn how to do the things that Jesus did without thinking about it. To be good for no good reason, in other words. I want to suggest that it is with intentional practices or spiritual disciplines and partnering with the Holy Spirit, with the cooperation of grace, that we can experience the radical transformation of our souls and become more fully ourselves in Jesus Christ. That is the goal of this whole series. We are going to simply talk about disciplines. And how fun is that? It's not very fun. We're going to talk about things that are unnatural for us and and difficult, but are so practical and basic and fundamental that they will begin, if we let them, to shape ourselves to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Okay, solitude and silence. We're going to talk about that this morning. Um, If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 14. I would like to just share with you just a, a biblical perspective of what happens with Jesus along his journey in ministry and life. And for some reason, the, the writers of the Gospels thought it was important to include some of these um, observations of Jesus' life. Matthew 14, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's a few around the side. Um, if you have an iPhone, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and you can go there if you want. Nobody laughed at that? Are we... Okay, if you have version, I, uh, I took it upon myself to explore technology. And uh, I have a live event for the Garden Church. So on Sunday, you can go to your app under, under the version app. And you can click the Garden Church. And you will have all of the text available already on your phone, along with some sermon notes and slides. So there you go. Um, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. I can sit down, all the people with smartphones are happy. But don't worry, I'm coming after you this morning. Let's read this. Let's take, take a look at Jesus' journey. So, after uh, hearing about John the Baptist's death, it says, when he heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So he hears about John the Baptist. He, he died and he, um, he goes away to be by himself in a solitary place. Matthew 14, verse 23. Matthew 14, verse 23. I'm just giving you a quick snapshot. Um, This comes after he feeds 5,000 men, and he fed more than that, but it's recorded. He feeds 5,000 people. Imagine just a massive event, and this is what happens right after. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. So after being in ministry and working, he pulls himself away to be alone in prayer. Go to Mark chapter 6, verse 31. He challenges his disciples. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he challenges them to go and do the things that he was doing. Proclaim the kingdom, cast out demons, heal the sick. They go all day and they do it. And it says this, they, in verse 31, Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. In other words, the disciples were doing all of this. And there was such a need, they were not eating, they were not resting. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Working so hard, busy doing the things of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, there's a place for that. Come with me by yourself and let's get some rest. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus performs another miracle. He heals a leper in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. And then it says this. Um, Luke describes what would happen after certain types of events like this. It says in verse 16, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
successful ministry. I mean, how great would that be? The lepers healed? Come on. You could set up shop, build a church around it, do some conferences, travel the world. Jesus pulls away from the crowd from his successful ministry to find a lonely place, which all suggests is him being defined by what the Father says of him and not what the ministry says of him. Uh, Luke 6, verse 12, he's going to choose his disciples, and it says, one of those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God again. And lastly, Mark 1, verse 35, I think you get the point. <laughs> Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Henry Nouwen, one of uh, the great writers, passed away a few years ago. He, um, he writes this reflection on that verse. Verse 135. Here's the quote. I'll read it out loud. The more I read this nearly silent sen sentence locked in between loud words of action, the more I have a sense that the secret of Jesus' ministry is hidden in the lonely place where he, pr he went to pray early in the morning, long before dawn. In the lonely place, Jesus finds the courage to follow God's will and not his own. To speak God's words and not his own. To do God's work and not his own. He reminds us constantly, by myself I can do nothing. I seek to do my own, not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John 5 verse 20. And again, what I say to you, I do not speak of my own accord. It is the Father living in me who is doing the, his work. John 14.10 It is in the lonely place where Jesus enters into intimacy with the Father that his ministry is born. Jesus developed a rhythm of life that included community, work, and ministry, and rest, solitude, and silence. He had developed a rhythm of solitude and silence into his everyday life. This gave him capacity for ministry life. My question this morning is, do we need to practice this? Do we need solitary, uh, solitude and silence? One writer, I'm sorry, there was a poll taken in Christianity Today that said that uh, six out of ten American Christians do say they're too busy for God. Is that funny? Imagine filling out that poll. Are you too busy for God? Yes, A or B or I, true or false. I don't, I don't know how you take that, that thing, that, that question, but six out of ten Americans. Hey, Jordan, will you turn this down a little bit? It's giving me some feedback. Six out of ten Americans say they're too busy for God. I mean, and I would agree with them as I hang out with people and maybe you have the same experience. It seems like the common diagnosis we give people for our lives is busy. Would you agree? That as you look around your life, it seems like we're hurried, we're rushed, we're, we're doing important things and we're way too busy for the creator of the universe. And if, if you just for a moment happen to to think about what, what, what does it look like? What would it look like for someone who wasn't a Christian to simply observe your life and maybe where you spent your time? Just think for a moment. If someone was looking into your life as it is right now, into your calendar or however you schedule your life, would they see Jesus? Or would they see a busy PTA meeting-driven, school, work, friends, overcommitments, episodes of Lost or Modern Family or whatever's on the Netflix and you can get the whole TV, TV series, you know. I love that. Law and Order has 12 seasons, SVU. Um, 
Would they see, I don't know, your Facebook, your Tumblr, your Pinterest, your Instagram, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your MySpace, or your Foursquare, whatever your social media tool is? What would they see if they just simply observed how you lived? One report says, and this is for our generation, the younger generation, uh, Comscore in 2012, uh, in January of 2012, took a, a poll, and they said that this generation, for every five minutes, we spend one minute in social media. For every five minutes we, we have, we spend one minute on a social media platform. They, uh, another Wall Street Journal article said that everyone, the average person on Facebook around the world spends 405 minutes a month on Facebook alone. That's nearly seven hours on Facebook in the month. That's worldwide average. I was talking to a kid that was here at the first service and he's like, I'm probably on there three hours a day. We're busy. We have become increasingly fragmented and defined by what we do, by our busyness. We're stressed and distressed and we use an excess amount of words. Our words have less meaning. We stumble into sin. We, we, we use words to exaggerate and control. And are you with me? Do you get this? So it seems like we do need solitude and silence. It seems like solitude and silence is actually a subversive act we can participate in, in this busy culture. Imagine learning the life of peace in the midst of our chaotic generation. How much of a testimony would that be to our generation? How are we to be salt and light in our nine to five job? How are we supposed to be, how are our words supposed to be seasoned with the grace of God if we ourselves haven't been saturated in the, in the love of God on a regular basis? How are we supposed to bring living water to people dying of thirst if we ourselves are not drinking from the well of life on a regular, everyday basis? Because that's the invitation. The invitation is to be salt and light, to be offering living water to people. But we're too busy for God. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself, <laughs> which I am. We must learn to cultivate a meaningful relationship with God because in that meaningful relationship we will be given capacity to love and minister out of our wholeness. We must learn to cultivate a meaningful relationship with God because in that relationship we will learn to uh, minister out of a wholeness from our real self. The only way we can do that is through the discipline of solitude and silence. Now, Let's, let's talk about that. Solitude, what is it? Are you guys with me? Are we good? I'm talking about like something that is really hard. Being alone is really hard work. We'll talk about that in just a second. Okay, so solitude is this. If you're taking notes or if you're on version, it's defined for you. On your iPhone, you're welcome. The practice of being alone with God. Solitude is the practice of being alone with God or the discipline of being alone with God. It is the only, the only time we are present with God is when we are fully present with ourselves. The only time we are truly present to God is when we are fully present with ourselves. Solitude is the practice of stepping away from our human relationships for a period of time in isolation to make room for God in our life. It's not simply being alone, it's choosing to be present in our aloneness to find ourselves with God. It's not being alone, it's choosing to be present in our loneliness. It's choosing solitude. For example, I 
I don't like solitude, but I love being alone. What's the difference for me? For me, well, alone is my wife's gone. She's not going to tell me what to do. Um, that's not what she does. I love my wife to death. But uh, I get to put my feet up on the couch and I get to numb out to TV, to social media, to, uh, to, to whatever's on, whatever season of, of TV show I'm interested in, whatever documentary I want to watch. Does anyone else know what that's like? It's not active rest. It's numbing out. That we've worked so hard that we can just shut our brains off and put the TV on or, and be on, be on the internet at the same time. Does anyone else do that? They have their laptop on their lap and they're watching this and they have their Instagram on their cell phone up. We're terrified of being alone because we don't know how to actively participate in choosing solitude to be with God. Uh, silence, just to define the term. Silence is the discipline or the practice of being attentively silent before God. Having quieted the noise of our lives. God is speaking all the time in all different ways and most of the time we're not listening or hearing Him. Silence gives us the capacity to learn His voice and to discover our own voice. By choosing not to speak, we create space and growth for a relationship in God. Henry Nouwen says that without silence and solitude, there is no spiritual life. Without silence and solitude, there is no spiritual life. So, why is being alone so hard? Or why is this a discipline? You would think, this is so easy. We can spend time with God all the time. I mean, it's the creator of the universe. He wants to be in intimate relationship with us uniquely as we are. He died on a cross for us. He's offering this amazing gift of life here and now and, and then in the age to come to have a life full of meaning and beauty and purpose and all this stuff and we're too busy. But maybe you're like me and this is what happens. You grab your Bible. I'll just share my morning routine. I wake up um, in the morning to an alarm clock, my iPhone, shut it off. Um, and if I'm really disciplined, I don't immediately check my emails, my Facebook and all that stuff. Um, but I get up and I go and make a, pot of, uh, a pour over cup of coffee, excuse me, for all you coffee connoisseurs out there. And uh, I, I have a little bit of coffee and I sit down and, and this is what tends to happen for me. Open up the Psalms, maybe it's Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Oh yes, Lord, that is so, I wonder what the surf is like right now. Um, so you get on your phone, just to get it out of your head, you just get it. Oh, so you get on your phone and check Surfline. Okay, I'm not missing anything. Cool, I'm going to put that right there. See, be still and know. I'm going to go back to Matthew. And then I just hear that voice that says, oh, what meetings do you have today? And I start processing those meetings. Okay, yeah, cool. And I'm trying to find something meaningful for the day. Does anyone else try to play that Russian roulette game? Like, what is it, God, that it's going to be? Okay. Uh, oh, my gosh. I opened to, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. I literally just landed on that verse. <laughs> creepy but my thoughts keep, get going right they get going and, and it's take out the trash don't forget to file this don't you have this meeting today so you got to prepare for this i wonder what i'm going to wear oh what the weather what's the weather like today you go into the app pull out the weather and then you're like oh i need some more coffee now that was a great birthday you still don't know that i'm god and then you just so subtly click the instagram button just to just to see who are, who was out partying last night and doing funner things than you were when you were in bed sleeping and then, you know, and then you're looking at your post, but then you want to make sure everyone knows you're up in the morning, right? So you, you go back to your Bible and grab that verse and take a picture of it and Instagram it. 
life behind scriptures. But then, but then it, because you don't end with Instagram, and this is the generation, if you want into this generation, then you go to Twitter because you want to see what people are posting on there. No ads, no new followers. And then you want to see what people are saying about your previous stuff, so you go to Facebook, right? How many of you have this routine? Okay, it's just me. I'm publicly confessing. <laughs> I'm going to go home. That shit, and then I touch the email button and then I have the important email and I need to get back to it. I pull out my computer and all of a sudden my be still and no is gone. And all of a sudden I'm living. I'm beginning the day with seeing what everyone else is doing. I'm beginning the day with what people are saying about me in my cool posts. I'm beginning the day from an identity that's not built on my belovedness from the Father who loves me. It's on the chaos of the world we enter in. That's just me trying to be alone with God in my house. Do we need solitude and silence? It's difficult being alone. It takes, it takes discipline to shut out those distractions. We'll talk about what that looks like practically in just a few moments. So, solitude and silence. I want to say this. It is the first step to cultivating a relationship with God. Solitude and silence is the first step to cultivating a relationship with God. God is a relational being. He is a community of love and He desires intimacy with us. And it is in a give and take, listening and talking, and a dynamic relationship that we are invited into. It is not primarily a book or rules or regulations or formula or patterns of behavior. Disciplines are not, it's not legalism. It is about being invited, being invited into a, a community of love and to learn how to be in an intimate relationship. Solitude is the beginning of cultivating a, a relationship with God. Let me, let me give you another picture. This is how I see my solitude and silence with God. And, and maybe this is helpful or maybe it's not. Apparently I'm the only one that does the Instagram thing. So probably not helpful. It's okay. Um, Okay, pretend, if you would, that you're a guy, okay? So you're a guy, so most of the guys are like, yes, I'm in. And um, you are going to go on your first date with this lady, and this lady is amazing. She is the one, and you have asked your guys group to pray for her because you know it's the one. You bought that outfit for that special occasion that you planned months ago if you ever found the one, and you found her, and she finally said yes after tons of Facebook stalking and, and finding out where she is. She said yes, and so you're pumped. You're excited. You are just jazzed. You have, you have planned this date. You saved your money so you could take her out to a nice restaurant, and you're, just, you're ready to go. You've got your kicks on. You're ready to do this thing. And uh, you pick her up, you're driving, and you're talking, kind of awkwardly chatting in the car because you don't really know what to say in the car, and it's kind of a short distance. And so you pick her up, and you're a total gentleman. And, and you come up, to, and you're sitting at the restaurant of your choice, and, and there you are. You're just asking these questions like, oh, where did you grow up? Um, I, tell me, what, what, do you, what do you do for fun? What do you like? Tell me your story. Because you have no idea, Right? I mean, you might have a little bit of a glimpse based on your, obviously, social media stuff, which I'm keep pounding in, but, but you really don't know, so you just desire this, this knowledge of, of what she's really like underneath the layers of the layers of the layers, because you, for you, this is, this is it, and so you're pumped. Now imagine this interaction that you are desiring just to get to know and express and be intimate, and she's sitting at this expensive restaurant like this, huh? Yeah, Orange County with Cal State. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm, that's, oh my gosh, really. Oh, one second, I gotta take this. Hey, yeah, 
Uh huh. No, it's okay. It's going fine. Yeah, probably only till like eight thirty. No, we can definitely. She posted what? Oh my gosh! I cannot believe that. Okay, hold on. I got a text. One second. Siri's talking to me. Okay. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I'll have to call you back. I'll be home around eight thirty. We can go out after. Great. Uh huh. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Do you think that relationship's gonna work? Do you think that relationship will build intimacy? Or, or if all this guy was doing was, was telling, every, telling her everything about himself. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. I'm so cool here, I'm so cool here. I messed up here, but I'm better now. Do you think that's how a relationship works? Solitude and silence is the beginning stages of learning to cultivate a relationship. And that takes time and space and listening and intentionality and caring about the things that the other person cares about and, and learning to hear the stories of their past and, and sharing the, the dreams of the future and, and, and doing activities together and, and inviting them into parts of your soul that no one else knows because that's what int- intimacy is really about and accepting and forgiving. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful and yet our relationship is we're too busy for God. Solitude and silence creates a space for a relationship. Solitude and silence is where we learn to hear God's voice within us. We learn to hear the voice of God that uniquely speaks to us as individuals. The greatest thing we can ever do as, as disciples, I think, for other disciples, is to teach people how to hear God's voice. The moment someone knows God's voice is the moment you let them free to reign in the world because they're going to be spreading the kingdom of God wherever they go. But it starts in an intimate space of solitude and silence where you learn to hear God's voice it, it, uh, solitude and silence gives us space to find our real self and learn how to hear our real voice it's where you become present with yourself and learn to accept who you really are how freeing is that to be ourselves to be comfortable in our own skin you learn that in the presence of Jesus alone away from community Silence and solitude gives us the substance to stand in community, open and vulnerable, unmoved by the pressure and circumstances that other people place upon us. It's where we learn to stand as fully ourselves in community, unmoved by other people's perspective, pressures, and expectations of us. We learn that in aloneness with God, in our solitude and silence. Silence and solitude is, uh, it declutters our life. We learn to create space to do just a few things well, and we're okay with it. If you learn to develop this relationship with God, you will be okay with not having to read the Bible in the year. You will be okay with not putting more and more burdens upon yourself and your spirituality. You will learn that He delights in you as you are, and He's going to meet you where you're at. Maybe it's one verse. Maybe it's a prayer walk. Maybe it's, it's journaling. Maybe it's... It's just being open while you're doing dishes or while you're driving in traffic. But God's going to just affirm that in you and help you just do a few things well. It's also the place where we learn to bring um, order to the chaos of our life. Jesus helps us form our lives to find meaning from the chaos. Are you with me? Does this sound like we can practice this? Does this sound, does this sound important? It sounds like we need it. 
Does it sound like a good discipline to, to maybe begin to take on? Um, so, a couple more thoughts on solitude and silence, and then I want to get into the practical stuff, and then we'll end our time. Um, uh, solitude, silence helps us move away from sin, period. James 3, tame your tongue. When we practice not speaking, we learn that our words have power and meaning, and we let go of the useless words. When we begin to, uh, when, when we practice silence, we begin to speak out of silence, not out of emptiness or out of busyness, and our words develop more power. Uh, when we practice solitude, we begin to leave our image to God and what He says about us, rather than from others. And lastly, when we practice soli- solitude and silence, we will slow down, we will calm down, and we will experience peace. Try it. Try slowing down enough to breathe. You know, um, the body's designed, this is, this is free, <laughs> To, to get most of its energy from our breath. And we're, we're supposed to breathe six to eight times a minute. That's it. Most of us breathe 16 to 18 times a minute. We're breathing too fast. Slow down and you'll slow down your breathing and find peace and experience that life. How do you begin? So I want to just give some practicals. Again, this is for the, those that have said yes to Jesus. I just want to suggest, if, if you've... If you're with me, you said yes, you're on board, we're ready to do this. We want to, from here on out, we're going to take this discipline. We're going to try it tonight or tomorrow. Here are some simple suggestions for you. Um, if you're uninterested in solitude and silence, great. You can, you can walk away from this and that's fine. But here are my thoughts on, on just where do you begin. First of all, number one, you can only have your spiritual life with God. So as a statement, you cannot have anyone else's life. So the way to practice spiritual disciplines is in your life. It may seem basic, but I think we often mistake that. We think that we have to set up all these rhythms. We have to, we have to do all these great things. I've got to read for an hour a day. But it just doesn't make sense in your life. God wants to use your life as it is now. And so I want to suggest by practice solitude and silence by looking for regular places you can do it in your life now. What do I mean? If you make coffee in the morning... Wake up 15 minutes earlier, make coffee and sit down with Jesus and be alone with Him. If you drive a good distance and get in traffic on your way to work, make that a sacred space where you shut the music off, shut, shut the iPod off, shut the talk radio off, and you devote your traffic time to being in the presence of the divine. Invite Him into that space to radically transform your drive, to listen to what He says about you. Begin by asking Jesus, what do, you, what do you think of me? You create that space. Ask him a question. What do you think of me? If you want to hear God's voice, here's a thought. If you're learning how to hear God's voice, if you hear anything else other than your name or I love you, it's probably not God's voice. Let me say that again. If you begin this process and you hear anything else in the beginning other than your name or I love you, it's probably not God's voice. If you start hearing things like you're doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, that is, that is not God's voice in your life at this time. I just want to suggest that I think we confuse conviction oftentimes for that voice. So I want to invite you just to be open, listen, find regular spaces where you can find God and be alone with Him and allow that time to be committed to Him. So go to bed earlier, wake up a little earlier, spend a few moments with Him in the morning. Um, We'll talk about what to do in that alone time in just a second. I want to suggest that maybe some of you just need to define a space. A guy in our church that was here at nine has a prayer room at his house. 
It's sacred. It's for prayer. Maybe you can't do that. Maybe you could have a chair or you go outside or maybe it's part of a table. I mean, just create a ritual. Maybe the ritual is you're going to wake up, you're going to make coffee, you're going to grab your journal and Bible and then you sit down with breakfast and eat a meal with Jesus. I don't know what it is for you or what, it might, what might be empowering, but find that space and make it sacred. Maybe it's a prayer walk in the morning. And maybe you wake up and the first thing you do before you brush your teeth, before you get into the day, you put on your walking shoes and you just, you just go and look at creation and see what God has to say for you. Is that helpful? Is this burdensome or is it more life-giving? Burdensome, great, cool. We're going to place it on you. Uh, third thing I would suggest is to make a list of all the distractions in your life. You know what keeps you from God. I just shared mine off the top of my head. The things that keep me from God, busyness, meetings, Instagram, all the, all the different social media platforms, emails, TV, numbing out. Make a list. It's not to be guilty about it, but it's just to recognize, man, that really keeps me from God. And then when you, when you present your time, say, this is my sacred time, you say, none of that can be in the room or be a part of that time. Maybe the best thing for you is simply to get rid of what distracts you and just say, okay, now what, God? Again, it's a discipline. It's not, it's not easy. It's unusual. Um, a couple more thoughts. Uh, silence. Why don't, try, try not speaking for an entire day. See how hard that is. And see how meaningless your words are and how powerful your words will become after that day. Um, these are all disciplines you can practice. Now, what do you do when you get alone with God? Here's what I want to suggest. First of all, because it's hard. I know it's hard to just... What do you do to hear God? How do you, how do you create this rhythm? Well, um, don't listen to music. I want to suggest just being alone in quiet solitude. Grab a journal. And if, you're distracted, if you get distracted easily, easily like me, write out your prayers. Journal some thoughts. Just write a word down. So you don't, like, what I do in the morning is uh, I sometimes have a list and I'll just be praying for people at our church. I'll just go down the list or I'll just look at a few names and some of you get more prayer than others. Bless you. Um, uh, but like, you know, what's been major things that are on my heart, I'll just write it down. Like find a new building for the church. That keeps coming up. Just overwhelming for me. So every morning I'm just putting, God, that's yours, not mine. My wife's heart, that's yours, God, not mine. Um, anxiety, that's yours, not mine. I'll literally just put the word anxiety or Alex, is Alex with a heart around it and I'll just pray it out. But that helps me to focus and develop that time with God. Um, open the scriptures and just go to a psalm and read Psalm 46 and meditate. What does it mean to be still and know that He is God? Just sit with that. Let that resonate in your heart. Go to the passage where Jesus is baptized. You are my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. What does it mean to, to experience that? Grab scripture. Read some text. Journal your prayers. Uh, uh, these are all things you can do to connect with God. And then lastly, I want to suggest this. Put this in your calendar. If you want to take Jesus seriously, put him in your schedule. Put him in your calendar. You don't have to be crazy and say, Jesus Christ, you know, at 9 a.m. or whatever. <laughs> who, are you hanging out? Who, who are you going to coffee with at 9, Jesus? Why would you reimburse this receipt with Jesus Christ on it? Um the church. Anyways, that was, okay, never mind. So, uh, spiritual disciplines. These are intentional practices that with the partnering of the Holy Spirit and cooperation of grace, when we practice these things, we can experience transformation of our soul and become more fully ourselves in Jesus. Solitude and silence is an invitation to simply create space for relationship. So where do we go from here? Tomorrow morning. 
not rallying you to change a city, but I think if we had disciples that took time with Jesus, we would change a city. I'm not calling you to a massive event where the Spirit's going to come and everyone's going to get slain in the Spirit. I'm calling you to simply develop an inner ear to the spiritual voice, the Spirit's voice inside of you. Practice. Go work out tomorrow. You with me? Let's pray.